News Hounds from Queen City Nerve is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to episode 38 of Queen City Nerves News Hounds podcast. This is Ryan Pitkin, and as usual, I'm here with my co-host Justin just one last time. Yeah. Not just one last time, right but up I mean until. one more time. And you know, I almost considered not coming. I almost thought there was a chance you might not be here today <laughs> when I pulled back into the parking lot. Because I just closed out the editorial meeting and, and got like, up out. and walked away. <laughs> um, and today we have a special guest I've known for a few years and I've always wanted to, to get on this podcast. And if you're familiar with her work, if you've read anything I've written this week, but if not, you will get to know her as executive director of the Center for Community Transitions, founder of Education. Educate to Engage. It is Patrice Funderburg. What's going on, Patrice? What's up, Ryan and Justin? I'm glad to be here. I haven't been on a podcast in a long time, so right. I'm kind of crunk, kind of yes. happy to be and here. You know what? Ours happens to be one of the coolest ones, if not the this best. This is one. what I hear. So <laughs> I feel kind of honored to like get my podcast cherry popped again. Absolutely, and it's been a, it's been a crazy couple weeks for Can you. you can you do that? Can you have your cherry popped again in any situation? Does uh, it become unpopped? It's, <laughs> it's a, moving on. That's a religious yeah, conversation. Religious? I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> so, all right. Before we go into your story and, and how you... You have a definitely inspiring story of how you sort of went through the corporate world 25 years and then said, I'm, I'm, I'm done here. Yeah, I'm going to go into advocacy work and just criminal justice work. But before that, I want to go into a little bit of an, a vocab lesson, because there's words that I know you're going to be using that I think <laughs> I want to give some context to before we go. And those mainly are the fortress that you referred to on a good bit that you yes we talked a lot about Bro, back in 2017. we all know the definition of the word fortress. <laughs> right, but the Charlotte <laughs> fortress. Oh. And yeah. as well as justice involved, which is a little more of a straightforward, but it's a term that not everyone's familiar with. I think the fortress is a little bit more intriguing. So yeah. tell me a little bit about... The fortress? Yes. Yeah. Because you so coined that term, right? No, I no, didn't. didn't. Oh, it okay. actually was coined by uh, people in the fortress. Um, so the fortress comes from um, what I refer to as the last version of a leading on opportunity, economic mobility, social capital work in the Charlotte community. And I believe it was the late 90s. It predates before I moved to Charlotte. There was a study on social capital. Robert Putnam and some other researchers did a study on social capital. And as you know, Charlotte would have it, we, the city, ranked last in that study. And there were also some law enforcement involved. I think there was a law enforcement involved shooting and there was some protests that happened at Trade and Tryon at the time. And so there was a lot going on that for me, sort of like, this is 2016 all over again. 
And out of that study, as a result of that study, Charlotte being named last in that study and the unrest, racial unrest that was happening, the city formed a task force and an an initiative called Crossroads Charlotte. And Crossroads Charlotte was designed to bring the community together. I don't know if Crescent and Wedge or Two Charlottes or any of that language was used back then, but there was this initiative called Crossroads Charlotte. And many of the actors that are in the economic mobility conversation today were involved in Crossroads Charlotte. So let me, sorry to cut you off, I want to make sure we're clear here. This study is separate from the 2015 one that everyone always refers to, the 50 out of 50 economic mobility. This is early, This is late 90s. That this you're is about. late 90s, okay. early 2000s, and the mm. study was on social capital. Mm. And Robert Putnam is a researcher who wrote a book called Bowling Green about social capital, what it is, and how it works and all these other things. And so in Charlotte, the Crossroads Charlotte initiative included community meetings and all the things that we did following the Economic Mobility Task Force report. And they produced four video vignettes of scenarios of if Charlotte took action in certain ways, here is how we could predict the city would sort of recover and come out of the work that we're doing. So if we invested in, you know, community-based programs and we did all these other wonderful things that brought all community members with little restrictions, there was some term for that. And if we invested a little and did more with public-private partnerships, so there were these different scenarios. Well, the worst scenario was Fortress Charlotte. And Fortress Charlotte was if we only had surface conversations and didn't put things to action and didn't measure and didn't create accountability that the city (laughs) would implode and there would be racial unrest and potentially riots is the language I think they use and yada, 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 yada. So I'm trying to remember when did I even learn about Crossroads Charlotte because I came across something when I was on the Leading on Opportunity Council in 2017 and I saw... I think it was Fortress Charlotte and I started asking questions and got connected to, there were some folks that were a part of Crossroads Charlotte, of course, that were on the council um, and some folks that worked in the DNC host committee when I worked there in 2012 and pointed me to some of the old sort of archive uh, papers and I never actually saw the video. Um, And I read this description of Fortress Charlotte and I'm like, time out. That's it. That's where we're at. Okay, leading on Opportunity Council, where is the impact study, the impact analysis, the results, the all the things from the last time we tried to do this? Because half of y'all that are on this task force were a part of Crossroads Charlotte. And, and I'm starting a rumor here, but I think the single most tangible thing that came out of Crossroads Charlotte was Community Building Initiative, which, of course, is led by a white woman. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and everything? Or a white man? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that uh, you describe all of that, and I'm just sitting over here like, she's talking about today, not the 90s. Yes. And all these surface conversations just continue to happen, and you know, it's history doesn't ever... History only repeats itself, right? Yeah, it's super demoralizing to see things like that and hear things like that. Uh, I always talk about going through the old archives of our old paper, which had gone back to 1988, 
and reading certain things, it's come up with this new comprehensive plan that everyone's arguing about and the old comprehensive plan they used to have for 2020 that never really went anywhere. And mm -hmm. it had to do with uh, certain protests outside of abortion clinics in the nineties and all these things I'm reading about in archives that are like, they look like they're read the things they're written right today. Yeah. today and nothing's yeah. gotten, you know, better or worse. It's just sort of like we're living in a loop. Right. Right. And, and that's especially unfortunate when it comes to a situation like this, when everybody acted like that economic immobility was such a huge surprise, but it was called out yes. in the 90s. It, it, it absolutely was called out in the 90s. And I think the energy that we have around it today in the pockets where we have gone slightly deeper is because those people were involved in the work, you know, 20 years ago that didn't really produce any results. For me, as a person who was serving as an at-large member on the Leading on Opportunity Council, I took that as a privilege and an opportunity to like bring it to the table. I was already at the table. Let's talk about this. Where's the impact study? What do we know? Where's the data? Can we dig into county data, city data? Like what happened? And crickets, you know, we could talk about, you know, the conversation around criminal justice later. But so that's where Fortress comes from. Right. And I just made it my own personal mission as a part of just being disruptive in these spaces that I was used to being in, being in corporate Charlotte, that most of the community of business folks from the lens that I came into the work knew about this. Mm -hmm. And so if no one is talking about it. Guess who's going to start reminding folks, you know? And so I just refer to, you know, the bubble that is uptown as Fortress Charlotte. Right. And it's a good conversation starter because it opens the door for this, you know, mini history lesson. I think my favorite part is that you have a whole sub-language to it. If you catch yourself <laughs> saying something like task force or um, what was the one you used in our conversation, the two Charlottes. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sorry I'm using fortress language. Yeah. It's like, oh, that brought me back. But, um, <laughs> and then just before we sort of go into your story of how you got here, I did want to just uh, let folks know when we get to that point of the criminal justice field that you're in, when you talk about justice involvement, justice involved folks are folks who have been incarcerated, have a history of incarceration, and or have criminal records. That is correct. We um, use person first language mm -hmm. as an intentional way to restore people's humanity in the work. Mm -hmm. So now bring me back to you were, this was 2016, you were, like I said, worked 25 years in HR, corporate HR. What shifted for you yeah. that sort of brought you into this? To, to found, educate, to engage, and bring you into this advocacy, social justice work. Yeah. So um, I was working for a local retailer at the time. I had tried to emancipate from corporate before the DNC convention, right before the DNC or after the DNC convention, and I found myself going back into retail. And so I was working for a small family-owned Southern retailer who ended up selling the company to a private equity firm and saw that as a sort of a second opportunity to emancipate completely. Zero intentions on getting into criminal justice. I was actually teaching a lot of fitness classes at the time. I went through Startup Charlotte and was thinking about doing a fitness app and working on fitness credentials and all those kinds of things. And so I was gleefully emancipated 
emancipated in January of 2016, just kind of hanging out, teaching at the Y and stuff. And summer, July, the first weekend in July, Alton Sterling was murdered by police in Louisiana. And the very next morning, I woke up to the Philando Castile video and I went for a run. I just kind of laid there like, what the F? Like, mm-hmm. seriously? And so I said, okay, well, I'm just going to go for a run. I went on the run and I'm calling it an anxiety attack. I had never had an anxiety attack before, but I just could not run. I couldn't breathe. I got halfway to my turnaround point and like the We're world familiar. just stopped. We're familiar. Yeah. It's probably an anxiety attack. Yeah. <laughs> like panic and <laughs> oh, all the sorry. things. I didn't get that. I was listening. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that went straight over my head. Yeah. But so I'm on this run and the world just kind of stopped and I had to like get it together to figure out what was going on. And I just had this very surreal moment. I don't even know if I still have words for it. So I came on back home and I probably cried or something. I don't know. But I decided like in that moment, I'm done. Like I'm done. And so I happened to be reading, rereading Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. And it was sitting there on the desk and I'm like, yo, why don't I just put together a conversation about this book? And so I think I posted it on Facebook or something and I organized. So I'm in a sorority. I organized a, or actually I researched like, how do you organize a 5k? And it's like this nine week process. And I was trying to do something like that weekend. Hmm. So I just put it on Facebook, like Greeks for peace, I think is what I put on Facebook at the time, like show up at the Dowd Y, make some posters. We're going to walk the three mile route from the Dowd Y through Uptown Charlotte and just like talk, like get to know each other. And I wrote myself a little script because, of course, I come from the fortress. So I'm all like prepared and all these things. And we did the walk and maybe there were about 20 or so people and we did the walk and I pulled out the book from my car when we got back to the Y and said, hey, I'm going to start this conversation. I don't know like what it's going to be, but I'm going to start this conversation. And a friend who it might have been Elise from the school board. She wasn't on the school board at the time. But anyway, she had introduced she had mentioned third place. Is that what it's called? Over in Elizabeth, third place coffee, the coffee um, shop below, below sure. Covenant. I think if that, it was around, it is probably definitely closed now. I've never heard of that place. Yeah, it's it, it definitely is closed now. But I think third place coffee was the name and it had just opened as well. Mm-hmm. And part of the intention of QC Family Tree, so Greg and Helms, in partnership with the church, was to create sort of this space for community engagement while also teaching and providing a space for residents over at QC Family Tree on social entrepreneurship. So it was sort of all these things wrapped up. Mm -hmm. And she said, hey, this place just opened. It's like a low-key church basement, kind of coffee shop or whatever. Maybe you can do it there. So I reached out to Greg. We had a conversation, ended up doing the class there. Started in July of 2016. And it's a six-week class. The book is six weeks. We did a chapter a week. I was figuring it out as I go. And during that period, who's the education reporter for the Charlotte Observer? She retired. And Andy Ma. Yeah. No, was it Anne Doss Helms. And Doss Helms. Now WFAE. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, Andy Ma just left 
uh, the Observer Today and oh, was really? reporting on CMS. Nice. I mean, oh, nice so. as in like Justin was on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I got so this you one. You paying attention to the news this oh, week, I know Justin. everything. Yeah. <laughs> I know everything. So Anne reached out and saw my Facebook post and she was doing a post um, or she was doing a piece because Putney was having a press conference or something about the like police violence nationwide or something at the time. And she was doing some story and she emailed me and said, hey, I saw your post. Can I include this in my piece for this book thing that you're doing? I'm like, sure. A hundred people, a hundred white people from South Charlotte primarily showed up at the book club. And I don't think I was even ready for that. They were there in support. Yes. Like they were not there yes. to say, what like, are you doing? With the book and yeah. notebooks and like mm-hmm. all the things. And I think I, I just had this assumption mm-hmm. that like, hell yeah, people are going to come, you know, people want to, you know, dig into this mass incarceration. Most of us have either family members, they got caught up in the war on drugs, et cetera, et cetera. So I just don't think I was ready to see like, this is the bubble that I've really been in since I've been in Charlotte, like literally sitting, you know, in this in this coffee space and I had to process that and that really kicked it off for me from like the intersection of my corporate conditioning my assimilation to whiteness like all the things throughout my career and it took some time and I'm still in that space of like de like deconditioning myself or detoxing myself from that and remembering who I am so the class went fine. It was a six-week class. On the last week of the class was the Keith Scott shooting. Didn't plan that, obviously. And uh, that would be some shit if we yeah, just figured that out on the <laughs> Breaking like, news. Totally. The, my class was on. I th- was, the shooting was like on Tuesday, I think. Class was on Wednesday. Everyone showed up to the class. At that point, we were down to about 40-some people who like stayed for the whole six weeks. And everyone just showed up like, what are we going to do? And I think it was day two of the protest. And we were right outside of the city on the east side, right by Novant is where third place coffee was. And so we had to drive past, you know, or I did at least because I live in the north. And people just took to the streets. A couple of the younger folks that were a part of the class ended up being a part of like Command Central or Mm -hmm. they were over um, at one of the churches over here, you know, as folks were providing supports and stuff like that. And that was their like gateway into like movement and activism and direct action. And they were mostly white folks that, you know, wanted to support and stuff, but Everyone, myself included, we were all just like shook to our core about like the shit that brought us together in the first place is literally happening like right in Charlotte. And so, you know, no more bystanding. Right. And then that became a hashtag for it. And people, you know, well, when is the next class? And I'm like, I, I hadn't planned on this thing, turn it into a thing. Well, long story short, I think that was around the time I also met Amalia mm-hmm. Deloney. And Amalia has been in movement work her entire life. And she really introduced to me like popular education and person first language, like all the things around advocacy and movement building and helped me sort of put a frame around 
the work of Michelle Alexander while teaching people movement building Mm. from strategy to direct action to media literacy to like all the things and centering our own lived experiences as the ways in which we can engage ourselves in, you know, movement work, whatever is the issue. And so the the book study took a little bit of a turn. It was still the new Jim Crow, but in each session, I added media literacy and, you know, what is the purpose of media? And we, you know, gave folks articles to decode and those kinds of things. We did proximity to incarceration and how, you know, showing up on the street and you don't even know anybody that ever has been touched by the justice system. You probably create more harm mm-hmm. than you are helping because um, you scared. Right? right. And so we don't need you there. We did theater of the oppressed, which is movement and somatic base to show how in movement building we can hold space for each other in, in good times as in particularly when we're in protest environments. So we know how to literally hold physical space for some for others which I think we saw a lot last summer with all the kettling shit that was going on Mm -hmm. but we integrated that into the Jim Crow class and and so it was a deeper analysis and more of a critical interrogation of her work of the scholarship because people were remembering like being in sixth grade social studies like no I didn't learn all this or people were engaging with the material in ways that were not cerebral. They, it was emotional, mm-hmm. right? People were pissed off because they didn't realize that they had been carrying all these different levels of privilege, mostly white, but some black folks too and, and everything in between. But people were having these physiological reactions to reading a book. So we started saying it's not your mama's book club. So I ended up doing the class about four times a year over the course of a couple of years. And in 2017, early, no, 2016 is when I discovered CCT. I started doing my own research. Like I've been in the corporate Charlotte community at all the events and all the fortress things and had no idea this level of other that was going on in the community. And so I just started doing my own research and I found CCT in 2016 and I met Myra. She invited me to some different events and that was how I sort of started getting connected to criminal justice like locally. Um, Tanya Rivens at the time was um, doing some work for the jail and she introduced me to an opportunity to volunteer down at the jail and women's programs. And so I did a little training and I started volunteering, got connected with another nonprofit called Change Choices and was um, doing some mentoring and eventually started teaching life skills class and then got connected to another agency. So I was in the jail all the time Mm -hmm. teaching classes for women's programs and youth girls. And at the same time, because of the Educate to Engage and the work in the jails, and I met Ramona in spring of 2017, all these things were starting to come together. I realized that... Ramona who? Ramona Brandt. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Got to read the news story. <laughs> I don't have time. He will yeah. get to it. So I started getting connected to folks that had the lived experience of incarceration who were also, you know, born and raised in Charlotte. 
And so here's this corporate privilege or this access and stuff that I have. I've been invited to be on the Leading on Opportunity Council and in all these spaces that are familiar to me, but I'm in community with like the community, community reminding me of home, you know, my home community back home. And so I thought again, just like with the Fortress Charlotte concept at the Leading on Opportunity meeting, hey, I can be the reason, you know, I can help sort of bust through some barriers and, you know, bring the homies with me to these conversations because they really should be the ones that are in these meetings, especially because they're native charlatans that are doing this work. And, and that work still continues and has broadened and there's been all kinds of things within that. But I think I just allowed myself to just go with the flow because it, it, it none of this was like, Oh, I'm emancipated from corporate. Yeah. It seemed like a very natural path though that broke that broke out for you in terms of you happen to be and I'm thinking of the conversation we had about how you ended up talking about prison reentry and and justice involvement or not talking about but doing work on doing work around these things as opposed to what so many other folks get involved with which is police reform and things like that. But it seems like this path has just sort of made its way in your life as terms of you happen to be reading Michelle Alexander when this happened. And that's what that book is about. Uh, for those who don't know, the new Jim Crow is about the last type of segregation or not segregation, the last type of discrimination that's allowed and, and, and approved of in this community is those who have been incarcerated in the past. And then you go and you're volunteering at the jail and meet with Ramona Brandt, who was someone who was, incarcerated for over 20 years, right? Before mm-hmm. she was released through one of Obama's programs. Um, she was pardoned by Obama in 2016. Right. And she became a national advocate for this sort of work. Do you ever just stop to think like, wow, this, because you weren't uh, pursuing this <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. I, I think the, the one thing that always hits different when I do stop to think about it is all of this happened because I didn't stop to think about it. I just mm-hmm. kept going. Right. And everything that I've learned, you know, academically and in my career and, you know, the path I was supposed to take and all those kinds of things is, you know, you have some goals and you set some plans. And when you, you know, get off track, then you, you know, bring yourself back and those kinds of things. And all of that was off the table. It was just go. Yeah, I can just see do that. It. That's well, sort that of how I treat this that paper. Doesn't, that doesn't work in a movement and shouldn't yeah. work with community newspapers either because it's literally moving. It's a fluid situation. Right. Every, every day is different. It arrives, brings new problems. It brings new solutions. You have to take new avenues. You have to get new advocates. You got to everything. So yeah, yeah, putting a plan to work like that, like at least the steps along the way to the goal, I think is counterproductive because mm-hmm. yeah. you'll encounter something new every day. Yeah. I think it taught for me is that like the conditioning to white supremacy runs deep and you know maybe we didn't use that language but this conditioning to be to fit in this box of this thing this machine that is producing you know whether it's money or whether it's you know levels of assimilation that make you forget your humanness we just don't think about that and we just we just go like the machine right Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day who's winning who's profiting from that for me, the fortress, the, right, <laughs> the fortress. For me, it was just, you know, I, I started saying spirit is gangsta in my classes because first we, of all, queen of taglines. Let me just put it. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> 
Yeah. But I started saying hashtag spirit is gangster and, you know, encouraging people in the class to like get up and crip walk when people would have these moments of like, oh, yeah, right. That did happen. And I could have did this or I could have showed up this way or I could have said this or I could have just asked this question and then go out in the world. Right. And practice that and then come back and like, yo, it was a whole different experience. So I just started saying spirit is gangster because this this has totally been spirit led for me. And I'm not all religiously or anything like that, but it has totally been spirit led for me. It still is. My degrees are in business and HR. I'm, I'm not a lawyer like, you know, I can't spit out all the legislation and statutes and all of that kind of stuff. But I know how to read. Mm-hmm. Right. I know how to research. I know how to ask questions and those kinds of things. And so for people like me who don't have the lived experience of incarceration, that did not grow up in poverty, that is not the first to graduate from college and even have a second degree, a master's degree, like the the Cosby kid generation, right? Um, It has been liberating to release myself from the hold of all those years. And at the same time, I don't regret that experience because the way it's happening now to the point of the story this week is that all those years of HR are now converging with what I'm doing in criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And not everybody can have the let's talk about the employee life cycle conversation with businesses and why second chance employment is important. And Mm so what's emerging for me is this is my space for this period in time. Like you said, Justin, it's always moving. But right now, like I'm gangbusters. Let's mm-hmm. let's change this narrative in our community about second chance employment because the people are here. They've been here mm-hmm. and businesses need to get on board or they're going to be left behind after after the pandemic. So I want to say one thing before we go into the break. And then in the second half, I think we should focus on second chance employment right. and your work in that and what exactly that means. If you want your coffee shop to survive, don't name it. Third place. Third place. Don't do that. <laughs> you name it first place because one, winner. Two, coffee is your first thing. It's your first place. It's the first place you go in the morning. It becomes part of your routine. I'm just, that is terrible brand. Terrible brand, uh, whatever, something or it's idiots. You know, I drove by Good Worst the other day. Why wasn't that Best Worst? That would be a much punnier name. Best Worst, Good Worst. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> It's hard. Problem. Hard crowd. I, I get they're playing off <laughs> yeah. worse and making they already are with good a one-word oxymoron, but they're not saying worst, worst. Right. <laughs> it's a third place. No, worst. third is worse. Like, well, whoever the whoever that was. That stuck we hope with you're me. doing better. That stuck with me. That coffee. Thing. Have <laughs> not just not did. just that, but like. We, I think we, that's a legit question. We, Where did third place come from? <laughs> we we it was probably something family related or something. There's probably there's probably a great reason. I think it's a terrible name. <laughs> Everything's a great reason to you personally, but you got to think about how that projects to the community. I also love how you know me and Ryan have hundreds of conversations a week with people who do work like this in the community. Yeah, and I it's so interesting seeing how much of the advocacy starts from 2016, Mm -hmm. whether it be the incidents that happened before Keith Lamont Scott or locally Keith Lamont Scott that put them into that. And I think in four years from now, 
we'll be having these same conversations with people that are making change from what happened in 2020. Right. And those will be very interesting. Those are, yeah. yeah. I remember talking to Brie Newsom and she had told me that her mm. moment, what did you call it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was Trayvon Martin. And that was one of the biggest, yeah. I yeah. think nationally, so many people got involved in the movement because of Trayvon Martin, which I think was 14 or 15. But not well, guess what? People don't like people getting murdered. No, I don't know what to tell you. Absolutely yeah. not. Like the thread there is like people have moments because black bodies, like black people are dying at mm. the hands of law enforcement. Yeah. Right. That's. And you know, you were, you were saying something. I don't remember specifically what it was, but I was having a conversation last night. Oh, you were talking about like being conditioned to mm-hmm. just like inherently understanding white supremacy and oppression as the way the world is. And I was having a conversation with somebody last night where they were talking, we were talking about cops, not the TV show. I understand how bad it is, but I love that TV show. <laughs> I listen to that podcast. I, I get it. But if, if I, we were talking about how, if I was a police officer, I would just like, Oh, you're smoking weed. You got a little bit of Coke on you. You're, you're prostituting or whatever. I don't fuck care. I'm not, I'm going to leave you alone. So maybe I'd be a bad cop. And then I was like, no, I feel like that would make me a, a good cop in the eyes of the community. And, but I didn't realize that until like an hour later. And I focused on the fact that, oh, I'd be a shitty cop because I wouldn't harass enough people. And that's right. just that general understanding yeah. that that's immediately that's what, what comes do. out. But just like over this last year, I take more time to think about things. And I'd realized that that was stupid what I said and that we need to deconstruct all of those thought processes. Right. So, And that's the thing that people don't do. Yeah. Take that pause. Yeah, and and think about what they just said. Yeah. (laughs) All right, cool. We're going to take a quick little break and come back and and talk about some of these partnerships and the movement that's happening, literal movement behind the movement, uh, the progress that's happening with Second Chance Employment. Uh, We'll be right back. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care feels like home because video visits bring my provider to me. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. Get ready. Broadway is returning to Charlotte. Blumenthal Performing Arts has an incredible selection of upcoming hits, including the returns of Hamilton and Wicked. Plus, the long-awaited Charlotte debut of Disney's Frozen and many more fan-favorite musicals and plays. Season tickets are on sale now at BlumenthalArts.org slash BPA Broadway. Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit CDC.gov slash COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. back on episode 38 of Newshounds podcast we're talking uh, justice involvement second chance employment with Patrice Funderburg of the Center for Community Transition Transitions I just knew something transients Trans- transportation um, trans Atlantic hey, you remember earlier when we were talking about definitions of words that she would probably be using yes. can you define juxtapose for me it just means where you place something as in like 
if you're talking about sentence structure or interior design or it talking mean about when somebody says it was me <laughs> means where you place something <laughs> it's been in two of our stories over the past oh. week that word one in direct quote one that was written by whoever wrote it so like right now we have two mics juxtaposed between you two so that you can both use one what it's just where things are that's all it means why don't? Why wouldn't you just say word. that there are two mics here on the table in between us? Why do you got to use some sounds fucking easy. weird word? Some uh, people want to sound super smart. Next, <laughs> um, I'm just trying to. Nemon ultra microscopic silicovacaniconiasis. That is the longest word in the English dictionary. It's 45 letters. It's my favorite one. I know the definition of that, but juxtapose just sounds stupid. Same as that word that words. I would never use in a sentence. <laughs> that is a whole is a sentence. Yeah, <laughs> I would say a lung disease. Oh, or. There are two mics placed between us. <laughs> <laughs> I love juxtapose. Okay, so that being said, now that we got the important stuff out of bag. Right. I'm going to have to think of, of bringing so, juxtapose into oh, one of my responses here. That's a weird word. So if you took over at the Center for Community Transitions in January 2020. Yep. This was just before, I don't know if anyone heard, there was a pandemic. Among other things. You I don't think they're calling it that three, anymore. It's, what is it? An Panorama. Oh. Something. Panini. Pangea. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Among other things, I think one of the main services you guys offer, there's a few different programs and things that you guys run as far as job readiness and employment training and uh, not to mention support groups and things, but one of the yeah. big major things that you do out of your facility in North Charlotte is run a 30-person dorm for women coming out of incarceration in the work release program. Yes. You came in as executive director, pandemic hit, no more work release, and that was just sort of, tell me where you go from there. Wow. Well, I brought 12 of the ladies with me today by way of an activity we just did mm. on say. why they why they deserve, why NCDPS should um, lift the work release restrictions. Can we talk about these work release restrictions that you're talking about? Because I don't get it. It just ended it. Work release is... Like you should be able to yeah, so define it. Pretend I know it. nothing. Yeah. Okay. So work <laughs> release is... A program that is offered by the state prison system where um, the system calls them offenders. We call them ladies because that's what they are. Yeah. Um, residents at our dorm are provided an opportunity to earn an income while they are serving the final term of their sentence. So, But outside of the physical structure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's basically like you're out working to earn an income. Before your sentence is up, but you're still technically incarcerated. That is correct. And then they ended that because of COVID. Because of COVID. Okay. Yeah. But they're still in the I facility. But I they're still it. in her facility. Oh, yeah. they didn't take them back. They just don't no, let them no, go no. to work. No. So uh, March 17th last year, they suspended work release. And so the residents are restricted to our campus since the March 17th of last year which is counterproductive to the whole reason why they're there in the first place. They also participate in study release. Um, We had several residents that were taking classes at CPCC. We actually do have a few residents that are taking classes online at CPCC now, so we were able to reinstate some of that. But the work release is the big part of it, right? Residents, when they come, they, when they, 
are preparing to apply to come to CCT, they have to meet certain criteria on the prison side to be eligible. And there's always a waiting list to come to CCT. So most, if not all of the, well, I know all of the residents, about 75% of the residents that are there now came during the pandemic um, for a lot of reasons we could talk about. So they've not had the opportunity to be out in the world working at all, which means they haven't been able to earn money, which is part of the whole point so that when they go home, that they'll have some seed money, right? Yeah, because that's what we talked about with Kenny on the last podcast is right. you, you leave with nothing mm-hmm. or yeah. whatever you had when you went in or whatever. Are you familiar with, um, what's the name of his organization? Kenny Freedom Fighting Missionaries. I do know Kenny yeah. well. He was yeah. actually on our last podcast talking about Home Again Foundation and yeah. what they're doing in housing and things, but we also did talk a lot about reentry because obviously that's what he does. Yeah. Yeah, I just went out to check out the site over oh, there. Nice. Yeah. Trying to get it's him awesome, connected. right? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That's are just real dope. Yeah. So you know how they're offering... Oh, sorry, forget it. That's that's <laughs> old story. We're talking about this now. <laughs> <laughs> so work release and study release are the two primary components of the offering at the Center for Women at CCT. Our residents, you know, they're not on digital monitors. They don't have to wear certain color clothes or any of that kind of stuff. They're, what I like to tell folks is they are practicing their reentry, like in real time, which is the closest next step to decarceration, right, that creates a really unique opportunity for us to lift up. This is a community model that works. Our cost per inmate, if you will, is almost half of what it is for the state prisons. And so um, I just did our report a couple of weeks ago, and we saved almost um, half a million dollars in our cost to run our program. And they... They give you that money to run the program. You don't have to raise that yourself because they're still technically incarcerated. So so we are in a contractual relationship with NCDPS, um, but that funding... <laughs> Here's where all the wonderful politics come into play, right? So that funding comes from the state budget. Mm -hmm. State budget hasn't passed since 2017, so we're operating on an old contract. Um, Jesus, I should know this because I'm a journalist, but I I let that go. Like 2017 was the last time he passed a budget. That's how backed up we are. Yeah, and so get your shit together. Sort of is unprecedentedness a word? Ryan, well, you, we're, yeah, hey, we're trying so to hold stay. on. We're t- hold on. <laughs> Everything is a word at Queen City Nerve. Yes. Okay, I'm here. Justin for it. and his hyphenizing words and lower capital case, um, undercapitalized. Undercapitalized. So the unprecedentedness of the panorama <laughs> really created this this sort of glaring. <laughs> <laughs> hole in our fundraising model for for that program in particular. Our operation has been through that contract. And although we do fundraise for the other two programs, not so much for the Center for Women. So if the women are not working, we're not getting program fees. We are paid by the state based on our occupancy. And so for a good period at the onset of the pandemic, we were at particularly as the extending limits of confinement, which I can talk about that when we when when residents were releasing 
on the ELC program, we were losing money, basically. And so I had to do a lot of advocating, right, for our program because the panorama was creating (laughs) these conditions that were really a, a, a serious risk to our ability to operate the facility just minimally. You've got 30 residents who are now home 24-7. And so groceries and like all your everyday expenses like soar through the roof. And we're not getting any additional resources for that. In addition to they're not earning any income to both save and also like pay their rent, if you will. So when they like say COVID, say, say the panda wasn't a thing. In that work release program, while they're working and earning income, are they also spending that income? So they they do have some opportunity for discretionary spending for personal hygiene items when the world is open. We have community volunteers that can take them on you know outings, all kinds of different places. Um, we do have home leave, so many of the residents are not from Mecklenburg County. So when the world is open, we have relationships with partners up in the North Charlotte area where families can come and residents can go meet out with them. So they, through the trust fund, they are able to withdraw funds and purchase items. And during, if they please. If they please, yeah. But it is a certain amount. And, you know, people have different situations. And so sometimes we've had situations where, you know, people are earning an income and, you know, they aren't saving you know, for when they're released. And so we provide financial literacy classes and there are a number of sort of wraparound real-time support systems, particularly for the women that are at the residence, both during the pandemic and when the world is open, because the whole purpose of that land, that space, that whole program is for them to practice like what restoration is, what returning to the community is, and they have these opportunities to practice and fail and practice again and and be held, there's space held for them to figure out, you know, what it means to go back into the community. I have two specific questions for Mm -hmm. you. One, what is the largest scale of that same operation that's here in Charlotte in the Carolinas? And then... I definitely agree that that work release program, this dorm, this this opportunity to finish out your last term doing this to get back in. What are what, in your opinion, are the solutions to reentry and second chance employment when you don't have that opportunity and you're just let out? Just released. Yeah. So CCT is the only nonprofit in the state that has a contractual relationship with DPS. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is no other program. Like ours. We're oh. the best ever. <laughs> and the worst. <laughs> yeah, technically, you're first and third place. Right. The, of course, the prisons, they do have other women's prisons. Um, they're about 1,900, a little over 1,900 women who are currently incarcerated in the state prison system. And there are recovery facilities for that focus specific. They're similar to CCT. I think there's one close to Asheville that um, specifically work around substance abuse, trauma, intimate partner, violence, and that sort of thing. But the resident, it's more of a transition program. So women are released to go into those programs. The women at my facility have between one to three years before their, their sentence ends. Most of the ladies that are with us today have been in prison over 10 years. 
Um, I was talking to Ebony, who's one of the folks uh-huh. who graduated from there. Are you talking about Ebony from the story? Ebony, yes, yeah, in the story, <laughs> she comes up all the time. Um, did she come up before? Well, when you got that message from that potential employer, and now, right now, that was Ethiopia. Oh, that was a different story. That's my bad. All together, that's my bad. Um, I didn't <laughs> see her though recently. I'll tell you about that, but uh. <laughs> Oh, anyway, she, when she was there for two years, 2017 and 19, she she was telling me one of the programs, you were just talking about wraparound services and all tor- sorts of different ways you guys try to approach it. She had told me, you know, part of the part of her being there was you guys teaching her who to call at the credit bureau and get her credit straight. Yep. Um, Can I learn that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to know, too. Uh, or uh, how to get her uh, cosmetology license back because it had, e- it had evaporated, I almost just said. That's it fine. Leave it. Keep expired. going. Nope. Oh, There's no such thing as a bad word. Have said it. But I mean, that's just some examples of um, you know the full service. You know what you guys offer there is goes so far beyond just any sort of defined path. Yeah, and it's not transactional. Right. Right. What is really a best practice at the Center for Women in particular is that. The you know when we talk about reentry, these surface conversations about oh you know partner with nonprofit that can refer to housing or you know refer like refer is a transaction, yes. right? You send somebody over there. We don't do that at CCT, and many of the reentry organizations in Charlotte don't do that. The fortress doesn't understand that there's more than just the like send somebody over there, and that's the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? To be strategically disruptive in it's not a transaction and it's not even necessarily a relationship all the time but it, it it is holding space for that person to get to the point of how to get things removed from my credit report or you know how do I address you know I'm getting ready to release and and I'm going back into a situation where the environment is not conducive for all that I have learned or you know all the different things and so it becomes about this connection to someone's humanity in the way that they have sort of built up their self-determination and motivation to return to the community in a way where they know they have support. And so this, when we say person first language, we also say we center the lived experience because it's not a rubric on here's how you do re-entry, right? You can, here's how you do re-entry, but it has to be this component of centering that person's individualized experience. And because of the way we are set up at the Center for Women, the residents have that opportunity. Quick story, when I came to CCT, and I was on the board for CCT um, since 2017, so I was somewhat familiar with the operation, certainly not as deeply, you know, now that I'm here as the ED, but about two months just before COVID, um, I had to send somebody back and I was freaking out. Like, this is not why I came here to send anybody back to prison. Like, I say that in our house meetings. I'm not about that life. Um, I believe that I'm an abolitionist, you know, even though I'm a prison warden, technically. And one of the residents um, didn't come home. So when they go to work, they have like certain time frames that they have to be back based on, you know, the mileage to where their job is. And she didn't come back. She didn't leave, like, escape or anything. She just came back late. And when she came back, she had contraband. She had a phone and, like, a beer or something on her, and she was hot. And so I was, like, freaking, freaking out, right? Like, 
I knew that this potentially could be the case, but you know, this is the last thing I want to do. Is there something that we can do for her? But then there are all these protocols, right? That violate this, violate that or whatever. It's automatic. You lose you know, your whole license to do it. Yeah. You're, yeah. Con- yeah. you're in a contract with the state government. Right. So. right. I'm in a contract with every single one of the ladies in that house. Yeah. Right? As well. And yeah. my commitment is to create the space for them to make mistakes. Right. And not feel like, Oh, well, I've been in prison all along. I'm just going to go back, right? Mm-hmm. And that is really hard, right? Because we're governed by, you know, DPS. So sometimes I do have to make those decisions. And that was one of the times that I had to make those decisions in the very first one. And I remember sitting in our counseling room talking to her the, the, follow, the next morning before staff was getting ready to drive her back. And she was like... I'm ready to go back. And I was like, why are you ready to go back? And I said, did you ever stop to think, why did you come home last night? Right. And she looked up at me and she was like, no. And I was like, why did you come back? I mean, you was already out doing your thing. Why did you, why did you bother even coming back? I mean, you had a bubble coat, so you was warm. You know, you was probably doing whatever it was that you, why'd you come back? Well, you know, because, you know, I know that I was supposed to be here. You know, I just needed a moment or whatever it was that she said. And I told her, I said, you know, you got two hours to drive back to Raleigh to women's prison. All I want you to do is just think about why did I come back? And she had a couple of months left. So she was released in June of last year. So there is no penalty for them getting kicked out of that program. They still like nothing gets added on to their term. No, 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 no. She's just returned back to the the prison environment. Um, Sure, you could find something to do. Yeah. That would extend your term. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can think if of If she got back and, you know, got into some mess in right. that environment, she you know, they head. real quick to give her infractions, yeah. you know, that could add more time. But she did release because she had to come back to CCT during the summer to pick up some stuff. But it, it's that kind of, it, you know, it's those that level of personal engagement, which is very different than the corrections environment, you know, and all the training that they give you on, you know, not personalizing and not, not even personalizing is not the word, but I want the residents at CCT to know that not only I see you, but this community sees you, mm-hmm. right? And CCT has been such under the radar for all these years you know, now is the time that people need to see us mm-hmm. and our reentry partners like Freedom Fighting Ministries, Project Bolt, Beauty After the Bars, like all these Exodus Foundation, all these organizations that are working alongside, oftentimes led by people that have that lived experience. Like we see you, we hear, mm-hmm. welcome home. Like, what do you need? Right. Not, you know oh, here's this job description, you know, don't do anything mm-hmm. that is going to make the rest of our employees feel unsafe. Right. Like that, that's just playing into the stigma that is out there about people that have justice involvement. Right. And I'm just not here for that mm-hmm. at this point. And that's what I want to get into is sort of the larger context. Can, can I say one thing What's real up? quick? So I'm sure that an abolitionist would look at what you're doing and, and say like what you said, you're basically a prison warden. I just want to say, I don't fucking think that, not even for one second. What you did is you identified an issue, you found a way to intervene in a very positive way, working with what was available, and you're making an impact. And I think that is a whole lot different than just broad stroking what you're doing as even even if you consider yourself a prison warder, prison <laughs> yeah. prison water, prison well, <laughs> warden, 
Pretty. Warden. Yeah. Don't. That word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Language is, a, is, you know, that came from community. Yeah. And that's right. the thing is, is like, the one that tells me words matter more than anybody. They, I always keep Patrice in mind when I'm writing stories years after I first met. They her. really do. And I, I feel like when the community attacks the community like that without understanding, like, you know, to break a system, you have to infiltrate it and manipulate it um, unless you completely dismantle it and start from the beginning. So I think so, what you're doing is great. Um, so opinion. we haven't even gotten to the actual main gist of what you're doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously, it's actually the second part of Justin's question that he already asked, which is on the broader level. You guys are serving 30 people at a time, and that's in no way to be shrugged at. What that's huge, and it's life-changing. But at the broader sense, there are still, what, 25,000 people who come home a year? Yep. Um, and what you do on top of the services that you offer, which are direct in a more indirect manner, you advocate. Um, and that's where the second chance employment uh, right. summit comes in, which was February 28th. 5th. 5th. February 25th. Um, Ramona Brandt Ramona Brandt Day. Day, the very first one. And... This is where I think things really are starting to get exciting because the partnerships that you guys are building in terms of holding the feet, holding feet to the fire as far as big time employers here in Charlotte and saying, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You, if you're making statements during Black Lives Matter protests, we haven't forgotten. Right. What do you, you know, there's this side of the criminal justice conversation needs to happen. What are you doing to help? Who right. are you hiring? And show me what your program is. So, right. Basically, tell me, I just <laughs> said a little bit of it, yeah. Um, and and I know you can probably speak on it for hours, because I, I know you can, yeah. out of experience, <laughs> but somewhere in between of the shortness that I just said and, and yeah. what you could do, tell me a little bit about how this, is, how this has grown lately and your efforts with employers, directly with employers and, and the partnerships that you're building, because there are some port, some important ones. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of intersections there, um, but the most important is employers took to their PR departments during George Floyd, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests last year around racial equity. And if you hadn't noticed, CCT is now a black-led nonprofit for mm -hmm. the first time. And so, of course, we went after, you know, some of those dollars as well. And I took it as an opportunity to also ask employers, since that is my lived experience working in the corporate HR space, what are you doing about second chance employment? As a part of a strategy to increase the number of corporate or fortress employers that are engaging in the work that we do at CCT. So prior to me coming on board, CCT had already started, had already partnered with Bojangles as part of their pilot second chance program, which was sort of under the radar. They didn't put a lot of press around it or anything like that. And there was a third party consultant who also participated in the summit, Envoy Growth, who sort of served as a liaison for CCT as well as Bojangles and put in that program together. And what they learned in the first six months of the program was what we knew the research had already said, that justice-involved folks were more loyal, there was lower turnover, they were more highly productive, they had promoted people that had come out of CCT's program um, in shorter time frame, and so they wanted to continue doing that work. Well, after Such a huge point that I don't think people know is that it's not a... 
It's not a thing for so we can wave a diversity flag or say, look at this cool thing we're doing. It's a literal effective hiring program. Yeah, it, it, it's a literal effective hiring program. And it's reaching into a pool of talent that the world has said you don't matter because you have this criminal conviction. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it from a practical standpoint, you know, folks have folks that have criminal convictions that know that there's this stigma have everything to lose right because they have to either prove it right and they're also practicing you know all the skills that they may have learned in jail or prison or they are remembering that I'm more than what it was that I did mm-hmm. and and Bojangles was down with it right so a year in Bojangles, you know, did their little analysis and and they have their own data. What ultimately happened for Bojangles is they made changes across their entire entire employee life cycle, not just the ban the box, which led to the background checks, which led to, you know, interacting with CCT to navigate some of the onboarding things, but their entire engagement process, their entire, they removed some of the flags in their selection process. These are all HR conversations. These are not the nonprofit reentry. Can you get my person who has a criminal record a job conversations? It's all of the above. And so for me, that's the sweet space, right? Because now I can go into these conversations with potential supporters of our work and say, hey, what is your HR department doing around workers with criminal records or this untapped pool of talent? Oh, yeah, we send background checks to a third party vendor. And then what? Right. Right. And then it opens up a whole different conversation. Third parties talk to. Right. It opens up a whole different conversation. And so I've been on a path to pursue that in a very strategic and disruptive way. One, because no employer in Charlotte can say I don't know Fortress Charlotte because I worked in it, number one. And two, from the learnings of the folks that I've worked with on the ground in community, many of whom we talked about today, as well as my own engagement in the work since I've been in, just since 2016, you know, it's juxtaposed, right? (laughs) Get out of here. I'm leaving. (laughs) Um, She's on purpose. (laughs) The time is now, right? And so... You have this sort of external macro environment. Everyone is saying all the right things about, you know, police brutality and murdering black people and Black Lives Matter and all these things. And companies want to get in on that because now it's marketable. Right. Let me say my statement. But BLM has been here for a minute. Right. Nonprofits in Charlotte doing reentry work have been here for a minute. How are you doing that? Right. Mm -hmm. We can legit for real say now, how are you doing that? And at CCT, we can say, how are you doing that? And we can help. Right. So a combination of things. I was invited by uh, Mia Walker, who is up in Durham with Forward Justice, directly impacted person who was a part of the State Reentry Council Collaborative which is a statewide effort that Governor Cooper started back in, I think, 2017 um, to really discuss reentry. And there's a state reentry action plan. So I was invited to that. And we went to those meetings four times a year. And every time I went to these meetings, I'm learning, right? This is how I learned and met most of the folks that were on the event. And I'm like, why are we not having these conversations in Charlotte? At the time, I was doing some consulting work with RMJJ. The great state of Mecklenburg, as they called it. Exactly. That mm-hmm. was when I learned the great state of Mecklenburg. So I'm asking the judges and the lawyers and the criminal, the 
actors in the criminal legal system that are part of the RMJJ work, like, why are we, why is RMJJ not talking, like, talking about this kind of stuff? Of course, I'm asking the questions at Leading on Opportunity. Strategy S, criminal justice, is not just the implicit bias class, right? There's a whole statewide conversation that's happening. Why are we not talking about that? So that was one. And then two, when I came to CCT as a board member, Part of what I wanted to engage as a board member was leveraging not just the board network, but the agency itself to amplify that reentry work is happening, right? There's other stuff that's happening besides officer-friendly relations and public safety conversation that is being fed to everyone. Can we talk about that? So when we talk about this two years of convening conversations that led up to the event, these conversations I have been having, again, it wasn't planned. I'm just asking the same questions in multiple different places. And then it occurred to me, well, hey, I'm the ED at this agency why don't, why don't now. I make the conversation like, why don't I just make the conversation happen? And through my some of the in early introductory conversations with Bank of America, who was a sponsor for that particular event, they too somewhat because of what J.P. Morgan Chase had done around criminal justice advocacy and reentry work in Chicago. So there's some healthy competition there. But the bank had already made that commitment of $1 billion investing in economic mobility, a part of which is workforce development, a part of which is working with agencies like CCT and others that work with people who have barriers to employment. And so it was a natural fit. They were already a supporter of our work. And so It helped amplify their commitment to the answer the question of like, okay, what are you really doing? Right. And it invested in a very strategic, you know, that wasn't a one time event. There are things that are still happening as a result of that event to really challenge the employers. I do feel like I need to just say the event that we're talking about because I didn't do a good job of describing it. No, that was my fault. You held a summit summit on February 25th that brought together everyone from NCG. NC Supreme Court Justice Anita Earls and Josh Stein, the Attorney General, two major employers like Atrium Health and Fifth Third Bank, two on-the-ground advocates, all coming together, having these really important conversations and actually announcing certain partnerships that we'll get to in a second. But I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to make sure yeah. people know yeah. what you're referring to as the event. Yeah, so, so it was really sort of... <laughs> Tilling the soil of land that was already fertile for Second Chance Employment, our LifeWorks program, which operates at the Goodwill Opportunity Campus on Wilkinson, was a standing program that was already, you know, fairly successful working with and alongside justice-involved folks, along with the partners that are at the Goodwill Opportunity Campus before the pandemic and even through the pandemic. This was part of our strategy with the agency to sort of CCT 2.0, right? Amplify this part of the work because there's criminal justice is a national conversation. Reentry is a national conversation. People are getting comfortable with language like recidivism Mm -hmm. and pathways home. Part of it is because of the passage of the Federal First Step Act, but in the state of North Carolina in particular, we have favorable legislation that makes it possible now, which Janet Labar, who was also on the February 25th summit, CEO of the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance, former chamber, you know, she's using language like, you know, her legislative team is focused on clean slate. 
why wouldn't nonprofit partners be a part of that conversation to help hold space for the companies that want to get into this second chance employment? The SHRM study, Society for Human Resource Management Foundation, conducted a study in 2018, workers with criminal records. Again, back to my own just sort of self-guided research. I found that study in 2018 was like, this might be a thing. I'm an HR person and HR has prioritized this. So I've been following that work. Wendy Safstrom, who is the executive director of the Sherm Foundation, was at our event. I have a call with her tomorrow to talk about what is the next step of activating HR professionals in this work. For me as an HR professional, it creates the opportunity for me to say to any average Joe person who works for a company, go to your HR department and ask them, what are we doing around second chance employment? If they give you the sort of proverbial you know, we do third, you know, we, we took the we took the question off of our applications. OK, then what? Or we send out background checks to a third party vendor. Well, then what? There there is a process. There is a toolkit called getting talent back to work that was produced, put together by the Sherm Foundation that we want to introduce to the business community. Right. And I just happen to have and this is not about Patrice, but I just happen to have the HR background that can have the conversations with HR folks in these companies about implementing, operationalizing these programs. And I have a bomb ass staff that is working together and alongside justice involved people that are ready, been ready. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so this, clear, is this our podcast time. is about Patrice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, juxtapose. <laughs> I'm not sure that made sense that time, did it? <laughs> no. Okay. Not that time, but the first I, time I, I still said don't it. totally grasp the definition. <laughs> awesome. Well, there's a lot going on that's moving forward, and it's exciting to see the actual resolutions happening and partnerships. Um, it wasn't a CCD thing, but you did you did consult in the very preliminary stages of this new Atrium Health program where they announced they're going to be bringing on 20 Justice of All folks for in-demand positions. Is that a yearly thing or this is a pilot? I think this is a pilot. Okay. So I've worked, um, Henry Rock, shout out to Henry and City Startup Labs, go way back. Henry called me a couple years ago when he decided to take the traditional model of his program for City Startup Labs to do returning citizens. And so in my Educate to Engage hat, worked alongside him to roll out the reentry entrepreneurship program or REAP. I think they're based here too, City Startup Labs yeah. in Advent. Oh yeah, he, I think he does mm-hmm. have an office here. And so it it was I appreciate seeing the growth in his program and the connectedness to an institution like Atrium because that's what we want to happen, mm-hmm. right? I, everybody can win in this space, right? right. And if I had some little tiny small part in making that happen, then we all are better for it, right? The Atrium work around their workforce development initiatives, as far as the way that I understand it, similar to the bank, just different industry, they're focused on deeper engagement into the communities that have barriers to employment. And they have made a decision to identify justice involvement as one of their focus areas. Right. And they want to build career paths with people, not just sort of give them a job and say, you're working over in this office. Good luck, buddy. It seems like it's well, going to be really wrap. Good luck, buddy. Well, yeah, sure. Good luck. Yeah. But come let us know when you're ready to build that career right. path. Right. And you're going to be working on implementing get, getting talent back to work here in Charlotte with the Sherm Foundation. Yes. That's exciting. National, national organization with national 
size resources. <laughs> well, that's awesome. We really appreciate you coming on, Patrice, and we covered a lot in a little bit of time. It's a big conversation. It is. It's huge. Uh, is there anything you would just want to touch on before we before we head out of here? CCT is a nonprofit that operates through fundraising. So, you know, I definitely always encourage folks to support our work financially. You know, a whole nother podcast to talk about the ways in which nonprofits are underfunded to do this work. Mm -hmm. So that becomes really important. Follow us on social media. We are trying to grow our presence and our brand in the community so that we can provide support. We always prioritize our folks that we work with, folks that have the lived experience. And if you're a business and interested in becoming a second plant chance employer, hit me up. Awesome. We used to always talk about what we were drinking in, in on this podcast. Uh, we're way past that. We are way past it, but I want to say this Petty Thieves Brewing, which I've never had a Petty Thieves before. You know, it's right up the street from my house. Yeah. Curiouser and Curiouser with cheesecake, graham cracker, and red berries, which I was like, Sounds this disgusting. is a toss-up. Oh. It could be I'm disgusting. Don't want that. <laughs> <Patrisa>. Oh. <laughs> um, it's a sour, but it's super good. My water is it. good. Your water's killing it over there? Yeah. Nice. Great water. We gotta stay hydrated. Oh, Justin's not a fan. I fucking hate sours and IPAs. I was in the uh, craft beer buying and selling world for way too long, and <laughs> I just need a Pilsner. I know none of that. these words. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, right, well, keep all that, that fancy note, shit away from me. On that note, we're gonna juxtapose an exit real quick. Shut up! And, uh, <laughs> Shut we'll up! See you on the next it's episode. It's your turn, uh, Justin. Use it in a sentence. I am, I have been, juxtapose La Francois. <laughs> nice. All right. Thanks, Patrice, so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. And we'll see you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.